Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true stories. I'm Rebecca, one of your hosts tonight. I'm Christina. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for our very first holiday-themed episode. It's Valentine's season, everybody. And I'm Kim, a new host here on the podcast. Glad to be present for a first. Hi, everyone. I'm Brianna. If you're joining our big virtual roundtable tonight, this is our fourth episode of our eighth season entitled Sweet Sorrow. And I'm Karen. And in this episode, two authors let us into a parting in their love lives. They talk the good and the bad, as well as the marvelous to think of and the tough to remember. And I'm Lindsay. Now let's get into the first story of the night. This story is by a first-time author on the podcast who usually here as a host, Christina Green. Christina Green is a junior at John Jay. She is a forensic psychology major and a writing and rhetoric minor. She fell in love with the creative nonfiction genre because she has always loved to connect with people by sharing stories. She thinks her life is one long TV show in which the episodes seem to write themselves. She hopes the story encourages those struggling to start or keep no contact to see it through. Let's take a listen to Christina's piece entitled, Since We Last Spoke. A warning that this story touches on very sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. No one, trust me, not to go back to you. Not even you. That's the most frustrating part. This time, when I said I was leaving, I knew I really meant it. I understand everyone for doubting me. I've said that line a million times, and the last 999,999 times, it was a lie. But here's the thing. I'm actually not allowed to talk to you. It's called no contact. Everyone says it's the best way to get over a breakup. So that means no calls, no texts, no stalking your snap score. You can't come over. I can't post something to get you to text me. I'm retiring all my old tricks. This is not my first attempt, but it will be my last. We're done. Problem is, all I want to do is talk to you. I'm so afraid to feel sad about your absence that I can't sit still. Next, next, next. My dad taught me to say that every time I think of you. Literally, out loud. He calls it pattern interruption. Sometimes it actually helps, but most of the time, people look at me funny for talking to myself out loud. Memories spring up out of nowhere, and without thinking, I'm shouting something. Next became stop, and then shut up, and currently I've been saying, just be quiet. At this point, I don't care anymore. I want to skip over this part. I just want to be content, not even happy, just content. I would do anything to get myself to the other side of this suffering. Since we last spoke, 
I developed an obsession with Wednesday. That's when I have therapy. I don't think I'm fully conscious the rest of the week. The second I wake up in the morning, I remember that you're gone and a wave of dread washes over me. I've been in a daze since the last time I texted you. The 16th. Since we last spoke, I've developed a slight alcohol problem. Laura, Erin, and I drink almost every night and blame it on the summertime. No deadlines to worry about, no work tomorrow, nothing to lose. I look forward to the daily, can we drink tonight, text. Drinking turns down the intensity of the pain enough to let me have the fun I have been waiting all summer for. I feel like a teenager for once. Laura and Erin set up the TV in the living room and I happily jump around with them. We spend the night slurring the words to our favorite songs and wasting all our money on Uber Eats. Alcohol has so many benefits. It makes Wednesday arrive more quickly. It helps me to sleep at night. Even better, drinking makes me feel nothing while I'm awake. And since we last spoke, I've spent an arm and a leg on therapy. In my sessions, I tell her how inseparable we were. That no matter how much we fought, we always came back to each other. I tell her how I can't figure out why it's so hard for me to eat. There's a pit in my stomach, and I haven't had a bite for days, but I have no appetite. The pit gets deeper every day that I don't hear from you. I tell her how much I miss you, how physically painful it is to not reach out, how I feel as if I'm about to explode waiting for you to text me, but you never do. Since we last spoke, I have been spending less time on my phone. I deleted Snapchat because I can't stand the sight of you out in the world doing fine without me. And I think to myself, it's been hours, it's been days, it's been ten and a half months, Christina. And I still have the soups I bought for us to share in the freezer, and I have yet to step foot in a Trader Joe's because the last three months we were together, you promised to take me. Why am I still waiting for you? I know that even if you come back, I have to close the door in your face. Since we last spoke, I realized that all of my friends hate you. I have so much free time now that you're gone, I actually get to spend some with them. If Erin isn't free, I'm with Laura. And if Laura's busy, I'm with Rafi. If Rafi isn't around, I'm next door at Tracy's. But I start to panic the further I have to go down the list. What happens when no one is free? I'm scared to face my feelings. If I'm distracted, I can push them down. But if I'm alone, it only takes one second of silence to plunge me headfirst into a vat of memories. I get triggered by the most random things. It makes no fucking sense sometimes. For example, Laura told me she has work today. My stomach turned for absolutely no reason. Tears immediately follow and bricks of panic gather into a giant pile in my stomach. Stop! Next! Think about something else. Don't do it, Christina. My brain starts piecing together some ridiculous virtually non-existent connection to you. She works at American Eagle. You love jeans. I mean, not their brand specifically, but everybody knows they have jeans, and 
you have genes. So, God, what's the matter with me? And by the time the logic starts falling apart, so am I. Why are you crying? How long are you going to be like this? You look insane for getting hysterical over such nonsense. Of course, no one says this to me but myself. There's always the risk of setting me off because I have so many triggers and there's no index of topics to avoid. Everyone is so worried about me. They're just trying their best to keep me from detonating. They will hold me while I sob about missing you. They will throw me in a cold shower to snap me out of a panic attack. They will force me to drink water when I drink liquor until I black out, but they will not let me reach out to you. Erin, Raffi, Laura, and Tracy must be sick of your name, but it means so much to me that they would put up with all of this just to keep us apart. And now that I think about it, it's kind of nice not having to hide you from them anymore. I had such a weight on my shoulders when we still spoke. It always went like this. They know I'm with you, but I have to lie about it. It doesn't feel good, especially when I sense they're not buying it. All of us knew the truth, but it made things awkward, so when it came up, we just kind of danced around it. I mean, don't you think it's ridiculous that you had to park around the block when you came to see me? Just in case my dad drove by? Or if Aaron came to hang out with Tracy? It feels nice to not be known as the fleeky friend, since I'm not canceling plans for you anymore. And my friends think it should be easy to leave you alone, but when I think about it for too long... I swear, it wasn't all that bad. Like the night we made gravy in your kitchen together. How we played old Italian music while we waited for the pasta to boil. And we dreamed about a marriage full of nights like that. They weren't there when we door-dashed families their Sunday breakfasts. They didn't join us for the drives we went on, wasting gas and killing time almost every night. Or when I made you vegan peanut butter milkshakes on the days you picked me up from work. Just like how they don't know why I got so excited to see you play Subway Surfers. It was the longest you ever kept your phone open around me. The rush and bliss of breaking no contact is the single most fleeting feeling in the entire world. In an instant, the floor splits open beneath your feet. You get ambushed by bigger, more uncomfortable feelings like anxiety and regret. Every time I break no contact, I regret it. I try again. What if this time, I just see it through? This time, instead of going back, I decided I've learned my lesson. Starting is the hardest part. Why should I keep enduring it? I'm tired of asking myself the same question. Why the fuck did I do that? Your mind has never raced so competitively and time has never passed so slowly as in the moments following the call or text that crumples no contact and tosses it in the garbage. Let this be the last try. No more day ones of no contact. I never want to feel that way again. So far, moving on, while heart-wrenching and stomach-turning seems to be working. This time, I am running like hell and I will not look back. You can chase me, call my name, Drive your car parallel to me as I storm off while you beg me to get in. 
but I am tired of fighting for you to love me, to be honest with me, to be loyal to me. I'm tired of you pushing me away and then checking to make sure I'm still reaching for you. I'd rather be miserable without you than with you. I have to feel better eventually, right? It's easier to keep no contact when I sit in the chat with the last text I ever sent you. July 16th, 2022 at 6.18 p.m. It reads, You keep forgetting about me. Poor 617 Christina had no idea that was the last time she would ever willingly contact you. Or how ironic that last text would come to be the longer you went without responding. My pride stops me from texting back. It's the only feeling that overpowers my sadness. How embarrassing that last text to you was. How unbearable the thought of you not responding is. How sickening it is to think you've gone so long without reaching out. Do you know how much time I spend thinking about you? And you're just okay with letting our four-year relationship disintegrate? As if it never meant anything to you? As if I never meant anything to you? At the time of the text, we had been up and down for months. A rough patch sandwiched between honeymoon phases. Well, to be honest, the only thing up and down was my mood. Have you texted? Yes, okay. I can eat, I can sleep, I can smile. Did we have a good day yesterday? No? Okay. Work was miserable. I'm not hungry. My friends just want me to shut up. I hope you understand that I couldn't allow you to have control over me like that anymore. For the last four years, we've spent nearly every day together, so now that I'm trying to move on, everything reminds me of you. Now that I think about it, I could never keep special things to myself. I've always shared them with you. My favorite shows, new snacks, the songs I can't kick out of my head. I usually share every piece of me with you, and I don't know where to put them now that you're gone. I don't know how to ask you to return all the parts of me that you still have. You can't return all the things I know about you, like how frequently you consume an alarming amount of monster energy drinks. And I bet you didn't keep the receipt for the time I spent at your wrestling matches in high school. It's not fair. You have taken so much from me, and it's still not enough. But you sure seem to have no problem asking for your things back. Since we last spoke, I learned that my phone hates me. Now, there's no way for you to know this, but I didn't mean to pick up your call. I was at work with my AirPods in, and I was expecting a call from Tracy. But when the ringtone went off and I grabbed my phone to see who was calling, I read your name as Siri said, call from Greg, answer it. I frantically looked at Chastity, the coworker who has heard every last piece of gossip about you all summer. Should I pick up? Siri took that as a command and answered the call for me. I froze, but my chest was burning. Hello? You prompted? Hello? I asked, still in disbelief that you were on the other end of the phone. Did you get my text? You asked coldly. I thought of the way I sat in class with my phone on Do Not Disturb. My phone scanned my face before I had time to click for a preview of my messages. Instead, 
my phone unlocked and opened by itself. The last screen I had opened was the messages app. The first chat at the top of my messages was from the Fabulous Four group chat, which was the one I was looking for. The texts were pouring in from Erin, Rafi, and Laura. And directly underneath was a message from you. September 13th, 2022. 9.37 a.m. Are you free sometime this week after 5? 9.41 a.m. I would just like my stuff back. No. I lied. I just want my stuff back. Are you free this weekend? He said something like that. That's not what I wanted to hear, though. Are you kidding me? Two months, and you only reach out because you want your shit back? My heart is in 60 pieces. I've cried every day since my last text, and my liver is bordering on failure. And that's all you have to say? Suddenly, all I feel toward you is anger. You want to know something? I already had all of your things packed up. Decided I did not want to be with you anymore, but I was working up the courage to let go of those things. Two sweaters and a squishmallow. The collateral I was holding on to in exchange for all the things you took from me that I can't get back. Time, money, my trust, my opportunity to have a high school sweetheart. I knew I couldn't see you. You might have dragged me right back into your arms. You don't care about those sweaters. You haven't cared about them for the last two months. You want access to me. You're bored. Just need to have control over someone. Well, it's not going to be me. My therapist warned me about this. I told you this time is different. I know better. You are so textbook. So predictable. It makes me so sick that you are still trying to manipulate me. I sent my dad to your house the very next day to drop your things off for me. And don't worry, my therapist says it's not breaking no contact because I didn't want to talk to you, so you can't take away my progress either. My therapist prints out worksheets for me, teaches me about the cycle of abuse, offers me coping skills. She tells me that you're a narcissist, says we were in an abusive, codependent relationship. I don't believe her. I tell her how I would feel guilty if a day went by without seeing you. I tell her how I always forgive you because there's not a problem we can't work through. We've been together for so long. I think I would know better. I mean, you've said I love you so much that I think I'm desensitized to its meaning. I tell her how my mother always said, you leave the first time they hit you. When we saw an abusive relationship depicted in TV shows, little did I know she was speaking from experience. But you never hit me, so there was no reason to leave. I tell her the rumor is that you allegedly sent the local high school into lockdown because you brought a knife to school and that you were allegedly threatening to kill your ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend. I never really believed it because you had never acted violently toward me. A few of my friends who were there at the time of the lockdown confirmed that you did it, but I still have a hard time accepting it. 
I tell my therapist how you cheated, how you smashed your phone one of the times I found out. I tell her how you slept with your phone in your front pocket and laid on your stomach so I couldn't go through it while you were sleeping. How you would keep your phone in your left hand while you were driving so that I couldn't see what you were doing. Or rather, who you were talking to. How you made sure I had aux so no unexpected calls came through. I tell her how much it pissed me off that you hid your nicotine addiction from me for a year. I mean, everyone I know vapes. Who gives a fuck if you smoke? You had to lie about that too? I mean, is anything I know about you true? I described to her how afraid I felt every time the speedometer hit 120 miles per hour. How you made me feel bad for getting upset about all those things. I tell her how you would always manage to talk me out of leaving you. I spent so much time walking on eggshells, living in denial, pretending that everything was okay. I was chronically paranoid that everything out of your mouth was a lie and that there were other girls. I begged you to admit to the things I knew you were doing surreptitiously, but I got so dizzy watching those conversations go in circles. I gave up hope that you would be honest with me. You can relax. I'm not looking through your phone because I know what's in there. No use in fighting anymore if I know I'm not going anywhere. Trust me, I don't want to be so sad all the time knowing that you don't respect our relationship, but if it's not me... It will be some other poor girl. I'll just take one for the team, stay with you so that no one else has to be as traumatized as I am. She informs me that everything I have confessed to her is considered isolation, gaslighting, manipulation, abuse. I tell her all the different ways we had sex. Under pressure, blackout drunk, under the influence of my sleep medication, She says that you raped me, but God, that is such an ugly thing to say. I hear the words coming out of my mouth. I replay the memories over and over, but my brain can't connect them to you. You're not a monster. I mean, everyone keeps saying all these mean things about you. I get offended even though you are not here to hear them, although I know they're right. Although all you've ever done is hurt me, I can't help but defend you. Now that enough time has passed, everyone is confessing things they wouldn't tell me while we were together. Tracy, Erin, Sam, and Danny all tell me that they saw your Tinder profile. Tracy even took screenshots and asked if I wanted to see them. The first time she offered, I said no, but I did take a look at them recently And all I thought was, my God, you look terrible. Laura and Erin revealed all the ways they spied on me to see if I was texting you when I said I stopped. And when I was with you, but I said I wasn't. I was never as slick as I thought. When I say you broke my heart, I don't mean it in a sappy way. My heart does not work the same way it used to. All this time, I thought an apology or you taking accountability would fix it. But now I know you're not qualified to fix my heart, since you fucked it up in the first place. All my friends gather around me. Erin is holding glue. Laura is carrying scraps of fabric. 
Rafi is carefully threading a needle, while Tracy holds everything together so they can puzzle piece and patch me back together. Since we last spoke, I've been getting a lot of steps in. When the anxiety is too much for my body to bear, I will gather Erin and Laura up for a hot girl walk, and we will go around Carlstadt for hours, burning calories and cortisol and adrenaline, but that doesn't start with a C. Since we last spoke, I've been playing a lot of board games. My favorite is called Azul. Rafi wins each round back-to-back by a landslide. He knows I'm going through a lot, but he never gives me a damn break. Since we last spoke, I cleared my room of all reminders of you. That empty Dr. Pepper bottle, the receipt from our last trip to the store together, my giant pink squishmallow octopus that you used as a pillow when you slept over, and that dental hygiene kit your mother gave to me. I broke the news to Google Photos, deleted all your pictures, and while I was at it, I deleted the Polish lessons on Duolingo. I stopped making appearances in places I might run into you instead of making it a point to go. Since we last spoke, I have stopped looking for your name on my phone right when I wake up. Rafi, Erin, Laura, and I walk to Duncan every morning. It has become somewhat of a tradition, and I look forward to seeing or sending the Duncan text every morning. Since we last spoke, I have developed an interest in journaling. I address each page by its number and tell it all the things I can't tell you. Since we last spoke, I got over my fear of the subway. I've been on the A, B, C, D, E, N, Q, R, W, F, 1, and the 7. Since we last spoke, just about everything has changed. I'm much better at speaking Spanish. My Duolingo streak is still precious to me. I couldn't maintain it early on in no contact, but I am up to 396 days right now. Also, Aaron got a cat. His name is Toby. He's kind of mean. Would you believe me if I told you he gets along with my parents' rabid dog, buddy? I get my lashes done instead of my nails now, and I redecorated my room. I got a promotion and an internship. I don't work at that stupid ice cream shop at the mall anymore. I bought a car. And since you were so curious what my first car would be, I'll fill you in. It's the same year as your first car, a 2016. But mine is a Ford Fusion, cherry red. I'm sure you would have a ton of car-related questions in response to that. I don't know how many cylinders the engine has or any of that car stuff you used to bore me to death explaining. I just got it at the dealership on 17. It was honestly the first car I looked at. I didn't pick it for any fancy features. Sings to me when I get in, and there's a button on the side that adjusts my seat and mirrors to be exactly where I want them, which is more than you have ever remembered about me. And it's the cutest shade of red I've ever seen on a car. That's all. And so you know, I can say the name Alyssa again without my throat closing up. I can hear Jackie's name without the contents of my stomach boiling. I have become more mindful of my use of the word sorry, too. Since we last spoke, I got four tattoos you've never seen. I got my septum pierced, and my belly button is the next on the agenda. Since we last spoke, I upgraded my wardrobe. And by that, I mean Laura gave me a bunch of her clothes. Since we last spoke, I have made countless new friends, some enemies, and some lovers. I developed my own identity. 
You will never sleep on the other side of my bed again. You will never get to hear my laugh again. Never again wake up to my name on your phone. Never again be the person I imagine walking down the aisle to. I guess what I'm getting at is, since we last spoke, I've become unrecognizable. I've always thought of us like magnets. We loved each other so much that we were inseparable, but I've come to understand the error in my thinking. I've been wondering what made this last attempt at no contact successful when I caved the last 999,999 times. One day, I woke up and your absence magically stopped having such an effect on me. The more distance between us, the more time that went on without seeing each other, the less I desired to go back to you. See, I think what happened was that when we went off in different directions, I wandered far enough to get outside of your magnetic field. At that point, it was too late to exert force on me so you could no longer pull me back in. You lost the control you once had over me. That's why I'm staying as far as humanly possible away from you. I'm not risking the chance of being close enough for you to pull me back in. You will never have the chance to hurt me again. So many wonderful things have happened to me, all because you haven't responded. I often wonder what would happen if I were to see you again on the street, carrying on with your life as I have. I don't think I would be able to tell you any of this. In fact, I think I would just freeze. But if there was one thing I would want you to know, it would be this. Since I last reached out, I have forgotten about you. Wow. Wow. A final line. It speaks so much to the journey of the story. The journey for our Valentine's Day episode. (laughs) And before we begin the interview, we want to make everyone aware that our website offers resources on lots of issues this piece touches on. For more on how to get help with substance abuse, depression, and other topics, please visit our website, lifeoutloudpodcast.com. We want to make specific reference right now to the component of intimate partner violence in this piece. Stories with a focus on intimate partner violence can affect folks in unexpected ways. To help process this, we want to let our audience know that resources are available. One of the resources is Love and Respect. It is a national organization that offers free, confidential, national hotline that operates 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They offer confidential support for teens, young adults, and their loved ones seeking help, resources, or information related to healthy relationships and dating abuse in the U.S. Their website is loveisrespect.org, and you can also call 1-866-331-9474 or text loveis to 22522. Another option for the same topic is the Domestic Violence Hotline, which is another national hotline. Their website is thehotline.org and their phone is 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Thank you all so very much for those resources. And now we're going to get straight into the interview. So, Christina, thank (laughs) you so, so very much for sharing this piece with us. It was an absolute delight to read and to go over your story and to see everything as you painted it for us. Oh man, I mean, it's weird to be on the other side of these questions, but I'm excited to get started. Great, so let's jump right into the questions. So while we were reading your story, 
you gave strong emotions to all of your readers and you described everything in such vivid detail. It really did feel like reliving a breakup I've never even experienced, even though you were very specific in how the process was in your own life. And as we read this story, we notice that you described many things that were incredibly wrong with the relationship. But you didn't describe a specific event, such as like a fight or a discovery that triggered the untangling of your decision to break up with the person. How do you feel the omission of this inciting factor and instead focusing on the foundations of what was wrong and your healing affect the way that you wrote the story? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> um, for me, it really wasn't anything significant that was like that made me decide to leave it was just one time we we had been going back and forth like he would text me and then disappear and then you know that's um one way to gain control over somebody so he was he was doing that over and over again and it was just one random day that he did that to me he disappeared and I was like this is the last time mm-hmm. and I don't want to deal with that anymore so from then on it really was this whole process of going through my heartbreak feeling my feelings connecting with the people that really that really love me like it's what my therapist kept telling me she was like oh there's love all around you you're just looking for it in the wrong person and the healing journey was the most important to me it's it's like I'm I'm here now and I'm testifying it, it really does work mm-hmm. when you go no contact a lot of people think it's it's, it's it is really painful mm-hmm. but people think it's impossible and I remember being the person that was like oh I don't believe you it's not going to get better but it did. And I want other people to know that it'll be the same for them too. They just have to stick to it and choose themselves. Yeah. That's there's like this like feeling of like impossibility is so present in your story too. Like you're just like, I don't believe it. It's too hard. Like it like the fact that this person actually is the way that they have shown the rest of the world to be, I see something different. Like this impossibility that is so realistic to a breakup that you don't want to be having like Mm -hmm. so felt you convey it so well thank you I I did feel really hopeless in the moment I just I was like I I don't want to I was in so much pain I I didn't want to feel the pain so I was like okay let's go for a walk let's go um out on a drive let's listen to music let's jump in the pool just anything but facing how like hopeless I was feeling at the time right yeah, it's so beautiful just hearing your sort of process, thinking about it and how you painted it so beautifully here. Um, you touched on your therapist and the sort of advice that you got from it. And in your scurry, you described learning through your therapist that you were experiencing physical and emotional abuse and the denial that came with facing that reality. You say, she informs me that everything I have confessed to her is considered isolation, gaslighting, manipulation, abuse. What is the importance of having the knowledge of the different types of abuses that can happen in a relationship and being able to put into words exactly what you experience? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, my therapist was um, instrumental to my healing. Um, she was recommended to me through a friend and she was really uh, a lot older than me in her 50s and she was going through a divorce in a very similar situation uh, we hopped on a conference call and it was she was like I, I think I can help you 
And then from there on out, she was like, <laughs> she was just telling me, she was like, oh, okay. She was listening to me and it went from being like casual, like leaning back in her chair and listening. And she, she leaned forward and she like had a serious face and she was taking a lot of notes. And then she was like, okay, I, I think this is going to be hard for you to hear, but this is a, a case of domestic violence, like intimate partner violence. And I was like, huh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, because we had been together through high school and I had never seen it in that way. Like I, I, I knew all the things that were wrong, like the cheating and everything. It, it did have a really like harmful impact on my mental health throughout high school, but I never saw it as abusive. I just, I was like, oh, like we just, like we always work through it. It's okay. Like mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't for some reason connect the thoughts to the person. Yeah. And I'm curious, was it your therapist that suggested you to go no contact or was that something that you sort of um, thought of yourself and started to enact? So I saw a video of someone online and she started with like a few hours a day, two days. And then like she got to the end and she was happy. And I had a folder in my TikTok of just all these videos that were like mantras for me to remember because I was I was preparing to leave but I just I knew I wasn't ready yet so like by the time I like I came around and my therapist and I got in contact I had the idea in my head and I told her I was planning to do it and I had a therapist before her that I I told her oh I know I'm not gonna leave him so I, I I'm telling you everything I can't tell my family but with this therapist I was honest with her I, and I was ready to leave and she was like okay that's the best way and I like it took me like maybe two or three months before I was actually successful. And that was the most recent story, like part of the story where I left. But she she was like, oh, have you had contact today? And I was like, maybe. And then mm-hmm. we we would have sessions and and she was helping me prepare um, and she was giving me those coping skills so I could finally leave and prepare myself for what it was going to be like, because I knew it was going to be the last time I was trying it. Mm-hmm. But it was a process. It wasn't like overnight. It, it, I failed so many times. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she told me, I think the average amount of times is like seven, seven times mm-hmm. before you're successful. Uh, but it could be more, it could be less. That's just the average. Mm-hmm. So imagine everybody in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think part of, well, I mean, if you look at it, every failure was one step closer to success. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thanks. That's facts. And I think part of it is like, I think in general, there's a lot of focus on finding closure TM Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. having that be through like that one final conversation where everything is made clear and you get all your apologies and you're like, wow, now I'm ready. (laughs) And the, the fact that you really talk about like the reality of it, which is finding closure in other ways that don't involve that person because that person especially being this like within this kind of toxicity of a relationship is probably not the one to give it to you you're not gonna Um, no it was actually the worst part like anytime I went to have those final conversations it would just be spun around and like we would just get back together so I totally against those exactly exactly and it's that like push pull it's just part of it's it's part of it it's part of that processing and it's tough to get through it and it's really 
wonderful that you have. And um, throughout the piece I've noticed in a kind of like a, a detour, but talking more about like the, the writing process throughout the piece, I noticed that you are often speaking directly to your ex in sentences like, but now I know you're not qualified to fix my heart since you fucked it up in the first place, which is an excellent line. Oh, <laughs> encompasses that so well like it's that revelation of like oh it's you mm-hmm. and so you're not going to offer me <laughs> the um the 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 yeah the solution when you're the problem um <laughs> and good. occasionally you also speak to the reader or the listener directly in sentences like the rush and bliss of breaking no contact is the single most fleeting feeling in the entire world. In an instant, the floor splits open beneath your feet and you get ambushed by bigger, more uncomfortable feelings like anxiety and regret. It feels like there are warnings written all over the story for the reader, as well as empowerment in speaking directly to someone who's made you feel powerless. And so what was the writing process like for organizing that story structure? Oh, interesting question. I didn't really have a process. I just came up with the idea that, like, I can't talk to you, but there were so many things I wanted to tell him along the way. So I started writing the story like, oh, what should I catch you up on? What have you missed? And then it became more about, like, my my healing. Like, you you can't really, <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. really... Um, have that effect on me anymore you you can't drag me down other and the uh, when I'm speaking to the the audience I guess when I'm not referencing him I was just kind of thinking oh what would I what would advice would I give myself if I could go back and, and get out of the situation that I'm in mm-hmm. um, but I definitely didn't have process it was just like a google doc and I was like oh that doesn't sound good let me put it here <laughs> it sounds better back here and then everything was a different color and then I was like the red was like oh and cut it and then I'd put it in the graveyard like at the bottom <laughs> I have a line <laughs> oh my god I do this too I do this too yeah to, no, for I parts where I'm know. like you do too Majazo oh my god that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't know. I sometimes I get too precious about a line and I don't want to mm-hmm. let it go. So I just put it at the bottom and then I delete it later when like it yeah. loses significance. Yeah. You got to kill your babies. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> really harsh, but I've heard that a few times. And every time I'm like, that's what like resonates the most is like, no, but it has to go in. Does it? No. <laughs> but, but anybody who's a writer can experience that like what you guys are going through like does it really have to go can i leave it can it like, stick you try mm-hmm. so hard to get it to work and it doesn't work mm-hmm. that was my whole process yeah. moving it around i actually wanted to commend you for having the courage to say that you went to therapy for this most people would not have the ability to put that out in the open and i wanted to say that you're probably inspiring so many women who have gone through what you went through. And I want to say thank you for them. Um, At the core of this story, it's about the beauty and importance of friendship. There are moments interspersed throughout the piece where your friends and family guide you through the storm. When you realize closure doesn't have to come from your ex, you write, my friends all gather around me. Aaron is holding the glue. Laura is carrying scraps of fabric. 
Ralph, Ralphie is carefully threading the needle. Tracy holds everything together so they can patch me back together. We get the sense that their support made a world of a difference to you. What advice can you give to others who have friends going through an intense breakup like this? How can we help others get out of the magnetic field? Okay, well, thank you for starters. Um, I, I think everyone should go to therapy. I'm, I'm a psych major. I think it's important. Um, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't, it's really important for just like your wellness and for the people around you that you're interacting with. So that's my, that's number one. Um, for the rest of the question, I would say to have patience for people like this. Sometimes, like I have friends that are going through breakups right now and I find myself even having to be like, you've been there, like put yourself in their shoes because it is frustrating like if someone keeps going back to their ex and you know their that ex isn't good for them um but I mean we all do it it's like mm-hmm. just, just be kind to people I mean, and give what you can but if you if you can't put your energy into someone in that moment just let them know like this is a lot for me if it's triggering or you just don't have the energy you're just having a bad day because then you can't you can't do anything like to to help someone who doesn't want help on the on the other extreme like so if they want help just be there supportive and like do what you can to help them get through it but if they don't want your help then just also take a step back and let them go through the motions I think you did such a great job of detailing this is probably an experience that so many people go through but I don't think it's heavily talked about and the way you broke it down, like your thought process, it was so wonderful to read. And for our last question, we just want to ask, what advice would you like to give to anyone who's going through the same experience of trying to heal with no contact? Uh, I, I was anticipating, um, what would you like readers to take away from this? Like our signature question. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> you a curveball. See, we knew. Curveball. <laughs> But uh, please I, also say that as well if you if you mm-hmm. are so inclined. Yes. <laughs> well, to answer the question, um, the one technique that helped me the most, well, there are two things. Um, okay, three. Journaling, um, moving my body, like exercising, walking, or um, dunking my face in ice water. Um, it's called like cold, mm. cold exposure therapy. Those are the three most effective coping skills for me. Like, oh. if, like if I felt like I was going to like explode, I would be like, all right, we're going on a walk right now and just walk around, mm-hmm. like, walk mm-hmm. around the block, get it out. Journaling, um, when you can't talk to that person, you know, just put it down on the page. Like maybe, maybe because I like writing, it works for me, but I I feel like when, once you get it all on the page, it's like <sighs> breath of fresh air. <laughs> Yeah. And the ice water, I like my friends already knew the drill. Like they would get the bowl, get the ice, get the water from the fridge, and it just snaps you out of a panic attack because wow. you're when you're when you're freezing, you you can't think about what's like causing you all the anxiety. It's just like it redirects the pain. Or you could do sour candy too. That my therapist um recommended that. Uh, it that also like the sensory, it redirects your brain. Wow. Those are some just coping skills that I'd recommend. I definitely think I'm going to try the ice water one for when mm-hmm. I'm having oh, like, yeah. Do it. a panic attack. I'm so trying that. It's like, yeah. oh, you just turn into a therapist yourself. Oh, <laughs> okay. 
I'm telling you, if you can't do the ice water in a bowl, cold shower works too. Have, have you ever like turn on the water and it immediately shoots you with cold water? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. It's like that. And, and, there and I'm, I jump out the shower. It's like I got electrocuted. <laughs> I, it was so, <laughs> one of those. It's just like. Real. Gosh. Well, with that, Christina, thank you so much for giving us this story. Not giving it to us, but like to, to have it be presented in this way, this experience through your wonderful writing. There's so many parts of, I literally had a um, little graveyard for quotes while I was doing the script and oh. trying to think of questions myself because I was like, I need to include this. I need to include this quote and this quote and how they connect to each other. And I was like, <laughs> drawing, I was a, I was like a conspiracy theorist um, <laughs> and had to dwindle it down. But this is, this is a wonderful, wonderful story and it's really impactful and thank you for um thank you for it thank you for it it's, it's really what I coming from you my queen Karen that's not making it in <laughs> yes it is we'll see you on this side of the table again shortly yes. <laughs> I'm happy to be there thanks Christina thank you thank you This story is by a returning author on the podcast, Naya. Naya L., a New York native, is a John Jay College alumna. As an artist, writer, and avid consumer of media, she loves diversifying her knowledge and gaining inspiration for new pieces. When she isn't binging horror movies, working on a manuscript, or learning new languages, Naya can be found scouring the city for her next favorite ramen spot or relaxing downtown, watching local buskers, with a cup of tea in hand. Let's take a listen to Naya's piece entitled Bubblegum. I'm sorry, but who wants to spend their Friday night on a dating app? No one in their right mind. But I hadn't been in my right mind for a while, so figures. I took a deep breath and tried to subdue the shudders that racked through me. My friends were right. I should start dating again. I chewed my lip while my thumb hovered over hinge. I hadn't had the account for more than a week and I'd already seriously regretted signing up. Biting the bullet, I tapped my screen and shut my eyes, eager to avoid pictures of men holding half-finished Heinekens in ill-fitting button-downs. I scrolled and swiped with unfazed eyes until I decided to check my likes. I forgot that those piled up. Blonde, blonde, goth? No, no. Brunette? Pretty, but she's tiny, 5'2". I blinked and imagined the obligatory, oh, so you'll be the man in the relationship, comments, and immediately swiped left. Another boy. I liked his nose ring, and this girl's haircut was really cool. Mm. Still, I sucked my teeth. There were all these seemingly interesting people to choose from, but none of them felt right to choose. I'd almost closed the app when another girl caught my eye. She was pretty. Not usually what I went for, but... Pretty nonetheless. Bright blue eyes, freckled skin, hair like the tip of an unstruck match. She was grinning in her pictures with a palm pressed to her cheek. Her smile was sweet. She looked a bit too nice to be sifting through the muck online for love. I raised a brow and, on a whim, matched her back. 
Why not? What was the worst that could happen? Her name was Elle. I like to call her Ellie. Elizabeth even. Maybe Alana to make her eyes go wide. I called her everything but her name and it always made her laugh. She liked to call me Naya, but I always flinched when she did. I'd rather not be referred to at all, but I didn't say so. I never really liked when people said my name. We went on our first date in early November. We couldn't decide where to go, but I was the native New Yorker. So I picked a spot downtown for boba and there were plenty of places nearby for a bite to eat after. We both liked pizza, so maybe we'd go to the Whole Foods a few blocks down from the boba shop and grab some slices. We planned to go to Kinokuniya after that, a Japanese bookstore on 45th I really liked. I don't know what possessed me to suggest it, but if I was going to find a companion, I was definitely going to be authentic. I think I saw her when she saw me. She told me the first thing she noticed were my knee-high boots and then the chunky color block jacket I wore. She said that it looked good on me and she laid her head on my shoulder. How does my hair look with it? She asked, wondering if the red of my jacket clashed with the red of her hair. It was less vivid in person, more like the red of a dried persimmon, which wasn't quite red at all. It looks nice, I said, as clearly as I could between bites of hot tomato sauce and cheese. I took off my jacket and gave it to her. She wasn't cold, but she wanted it anyway. I hadn't told her about Josh yet, it was hardly December. I think I met them both at around the same time, and it was definitely in the same way, through my least favorite app. It hadn't been that long since Elle and I started seeing each other. It was normal to casually date more than one person, right? At least that's what I thought then. The moment anything got serious, I'd make us exclusive. Me and Elle, or me and... Look, that's us, she giggled, zooming in on the cartoon characters on her screen. Who's who? I asked, failing to look at her phone. I was braiding her hair. Naya, look! She raised her phone to meet my eyes. With her head resting on my chest, it was hard not to see. You're Marceline because you like to act tough and wear pants like these. She tugged on the black straps of my trip jeans. And I'm bubblegum because I'm the soft one. Outwardly soft, anyway. And you're a big old softie on the inside. You just don't like to show it. She rolled over, and her obnoxiously round eyes bored into mine. They were slate-colored that night. The longer she stared at me, the redder her cheeks got. I rolled my eyes, flicking her forehead and looking past her to the succulents on her windowsill. Her room was small, but cute and well-organized. Her roommates were quiet. My heart was hammering. She was attentive. Was it supposed to be like this? That's gay. We're both gay. Fair enough. Elle was sweet, really sweet, and really willing to make this work, but I didn't know what it was at the time that was putting me off. There was something about us that just didn't sit well with me. So what was your ex-girlfriend like? She asked. She was holding my hand and had her arm wrapped around mine. In that moment, though the weight of her head on my shoulder grounded me physically, the rest of me was somewhere else. Elle had never dated a girl before. She'd never dated before at all, actually. She was a baby gay in every sense of the word. She hadn't been hurt yet. She was just dipping her toes into the waters I'd learned to hate myself. The one from high school, she said. Why? What was there to say? 
Naya? I swallowed thickly when I felt my dinner rise up into my throat. Can I see that? I asked, pointing to the cup of brown sugar boba she'd mixed with Bailey's a little while earlier. My finger was shaking. She passed it to me and I took a swig, forcing the tacos down. Thanks. Are you... Naya, are you okay? I looked at her for a moment and considered her soft expression. She'd asked me why I didn't date so often before. I just said I needed time for myself, which wasn't a lie. I did need that. I just needed that time alone for reasons I didn't disclose. And I hadn't planned to. I didn't mean to... I have PTSD, I think, I said. That's what my therapist calls it. She frowned, and in that moment, her face was animated. I saw the gears in her head turning. The corners of her mouth drooped down past her jaw. I'm all right. I turned my head when she reached for my face. I weighed my options in my head. I'd only ever told Gabby this story. Maybe it'll be good for me to talk about it. Her name was Liv, I said. She wasn't very kind. I decided to answer every question she asked. What was the worst that could happen? We had lots of long talks after that. She told me she was sorry about what happened. I said it wasn't that big of a deal. She said she wouldn't do what that other girl did. I said, okay. She swore she wouldn't say what the other girl said. I said, okay, again. I decided to mention Josh shortly after that. Something about the way Elle acted told me sooner was better than later. I thought she was moving way faster than I was. She said she was fine with it, with him, and that she just happened to be dating only me. She told me she assumed we were exclusive. Experience told me never to assume anything. She didn't have that experience, and it hadn't even been two months yet. I thought three was a good window. You know, you date for that long, you make it official, or you break it off by then. I had time, and I wasn't in a rush. Experience made me that way. She didn't have that experience. Elle made me promise to tell her about my date with Josh. I didn't want to agree to it, but I had a hard time telling her no. I knew her heart was in the right place, but I think her motive was different from mine. That was one of the things on my mind when I saw him that night. I stood at the back of the bar and choked down another shot of Fireball, not because it tasted bad, but because it was only 12 and I was already sick of drinking. He keeps staring at you. I know, I said, and looked over at the barely visible boy a couple feet away from me. He nodded, hair falling into his eyes and tipped his head back, downing the last of whatever was in his cup. Aren't you going to say anything? No. I don't know why he's standing over there like he didn't invite me. I'd looked around the venue and pursed my lips. The air was hot and thick and smelled of beer, sweat, and spit. I'd only went there that night because he asked me to see his band perform live. I didn't want to be out in the heart of Brooklyn at that time. I had class in the morning, but cursed my kind heart. Well, maybe he's nervous? He probably is, but I am too, and I hate being stared at. He knows that, I muttered. But Gia didn't hear me over the feedback coming from the stage. She mouthed something, but I couldn't hear her over the noise. What? I asked. 
forgot my answer when I felt a hand on my shoulder. Oh, hey. He scratched his head. Sorry, I was nervous. Yeah. I finished his sentence. He stood in front of me wordlessly for a moment before smiling. You know why I was staring at you? Why? I asked a little too quickly, and he chuckled, stepping closer. I like your hair. Blonde looks good on you. So, how was the date? Even though she was the only redhead on the block, it took me a moment to spot her. She smiled widely at me from across the street, and when we were finally toe-to-toe, I noticed she was taller than me in the shoes she wore that day. It was only by an inch, but it was enough to unnerve me. I smiled anyway. We stepped into a Paris baguette somewhere on Broadway. She asked me to meet her there so we could talk. It wasn't really a date, I said. But it was fine. Why do you keep asking? I dragged a tomato slice out of my sandwich and stabbed at it with my finger. Normally, I would have ordered the sandwich without it, but I was too distracted to remember. Asking questions was how you got hurt. L. Don't you know that? Well, I just want to know. She hadn't pretended to be interested in anything else. She hadn't touched her food. She hadn't stopped staring at me. She knew I hated that. Elle, I don't think you need to know that. I understand why you want to, but it's not necessary. And I really did. I really understood why she wanted to know the ins and outs of that night, but it wasn't good for her. That's because she'd never dated anyone before. She hesitated to tell me that in the beginning, thinking it would scare me off, and chose to tell me after we'd seen each other a couple times. She was right to think that. I wouldn't have gotten involved with her had I known. I didn't want to be responsible for a potentially bad first. So, do you like him? I blinked. Once. Twice. What? Why would you ask me that? Why would you want to know? Oh my god. Well, do you like him? Do you like him more than me? What? I don't even know how to react to- You don't know how to react? And a day or so later, I was having a debrief with the very man Elle now seemed to hate. Well, how'd she react? He asked again. She's angry, but am I an asshole? Like, isn't this normal? I thought it was. I mean, it is, but does she think you're together? I never said we were. We just met. And she kept calling me a fucking cheater. Yikes. Sore subject? Very. I groaned in frustration and kicked the empty Kavita bottle in front of me. Somehow it didn't break. She said she wouldn't call me that, but does she think we're together? Did I make her think we were together? Going on a few dates doesn't make you a couple. I knew that. A kiss doesn't make you a couple either. I definitely knew that. I mean, I'm not sure about her yet. I'm not even sure about you yet. So how is she so sure? I just think she might have started falling faster than I did. Probably. Because you're the first person she's ever dated. He laughed. And that's what I wanted to avoid. I couldn't believe I was confiding in the other man, but what was I supposed to do? Josh understood me. He had experience, too. He didn't like being someone else's first either. He didn't think the fact that I was seeing her was weird. He just happened not to be seeing someone else himself. Maybe he understood me so well because we were the same. He said one of his exes was a stripper now. I think the other went to jail.
He hadn't the... He said one of his ex-girlfriends was a stripper now. I think another went to jail. He hadn't had the luckiest love life either. He seemed jaded to me. Sometimes his smile didn't reach his eyes. Maybe that's what I looked like to him too. Maybe that's why we seemed to work in a way Elle and I didn't. Hey. He pushed his coal black hair out of his eyes. It settled back into place as if he never did. His sandy roots were blaring under the evening sun. I told him to stop dyeing his hair, but he hated its natural color. I really liked it then. It matched his eyes. He narrowed his eyes and scrunched his nose, glaring at me from over the rim of his glass. Here we go again with the staring. God, can you stop? I swatted at him and he draped an arm around me to pull me closer. We were sitting like strangers on opposite ends of a park bench. He kissed my temple and told me I'd figure it out in time. He was always oddly calm, even when he didn't have to be. Hmm. Capricorn men. I suppose I liked that about him, but it didn't make me feel better. We sat quietly, and he tapped out the rhythm to a new song he'd been working on on the bottle in his hand. I watched the tea swirl at the bottom of the glass. Call me whenever you need me. I considered the text on the screen before locking my phone. I never called him. I decided to sort things out on my own. It was January around then, and she was absolutely furious with me. Stop being avoidant. Pick me or him. Do you like him? Do you even like me? Naya, why can't you commit? Naya, you have nothing to be afraid of. Naya, I'm not her. Answer me. Why won't you answer me? Cheater, 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 cheater. Naya, 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 Naya. I hated when girls said my name. Could they just stop? No, apparently not. I made her cry so many times, and I hated making girls cry too, especially her. I thought she hated me. I didn't want her to hate me. She was so sweet. But I wasn't a cheater. So screw Elle. I looked at the little squishmallow cow on my bookshelf. She got me that when she came back from Canada. I named him Moop. I don't know why. I thought it was cute. He reminded me of her. He smelled like her. I looked down at the evil-eyed charm bracelet that was way too big for my knobby wrist. He gave that to me after his show one night. He said he'd get a new one, and that it was fine. I put my head in my hands and rubbed my eyes, rubbing and rubbing until I saw stars. Coming! My teammate motioned for me to join them for warm-ups. I was sitting in the hall with both hands in my pockets, leg bouncing like crazy. I can't call you right now. Practice. I'll call you when I get home. I just sent the text. I'd hoped that she could wait. I'd ha- Whoa. What does that say? I can't call you right now. Practice. I'll call you when I get home. I'd hoped that she could wait. I'd be in the Bronx in two hours. Three if the E train was running right. She could wait, right? 
I slipped on my cleats, grabbed my glove, and ran outside. I thought I was going to be sick. I hadn't felt that way since I was in high school. I thought I'd gotten better control over my emotions since then. I looked down at my phone to see another missed call. I guess my timetable wasn't good enough for her. I'm not home yet, Elle. I can't pick up. I doubted my text would assuage her. The train stopped at 149th Street, and the pre-recorded announcement sounded through the train speakers. I dug my shoes into my backpack as other passengers squeezed by me, careful not to knock them clean out with the handle of my bat. I hated traveling with that thing. Luckily for me, the train usually cleared out around my stop. I looked around. Shit, <laughs> not enough for me to take a seat. I'd shut my eyes and began to mutter the lyrics to Digital Bath when my phone rang, cutting the sweet, dissonant chords short. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I thought you couldn't pick up. I just got above ground. Okay. So? She said. I sighed. So? She repeated. I said I'd call you when I got home. You keep playing with me. What is she talking about? I'm not. I promise I'll call you. No, now. Let's talk now. I felt my eyelid begin to twitch. L, I don't want to have this conversation on the train. You're not listening, Naya. Here we go with the Naya, 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 Naya. You're playing with me. You're leading me on. You, I'm not. You don't know what that's like, but I do. You want the best of both worlds. She finished. L, we were dating. I didn't lead you on. We weren't in a relationship, just dating. I was honest with you. The whole time. I even told you about Josh, and I technically didn't have to. No, that's on you. Nobody told you to see him. Oh my god. You think you know everything. I know things too, you know. What do you know, actually? I thought. You think you're so smart because you dated more people than me. I don't think I'm smarter than you, Elle. I've been trying to help you. You're just a womanizer, actually. A cheater. Excuse me? A cheater. Really, it's funny that you say that. It's so funny that you say that. Again, I thought. I smiled. She couldn't see that, of course. She was quiet for a moment. I didn't mean to say that. You know, what would you know about cheating, L? Right, apparently fucking nothing because it's not like you've been cheated on, right? Because you haven't been in a relationship. You haven't had a girlfriend before. What would you actually know? She was quiet. But I couldn't stop talking. You were never my girlfriend, so I didn't fucking cheat on you. You idiot, stop calling me that. Grow up. Who told you to get so attached so fast? You're 21, act like it. I didn't notice that I started yelling. Naya, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. Never text me again. Never call me again. Don't talk to me. You don't know me. I spat. Then I hung up. I was shaking. I could hardly slip my phone into my pocket. Then I noticed that everyone in the cart was staring at me. When the train pulled into the next station, I switched carts. And she never did call me again. I still don't know if I'm happy about that. 
That was amazing. Oh, wow. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so, so very much for sharing this story with us, Maya. And thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're going to jump straight into the question because there's a lot to dig into. So from the very beginning of your piece, you sprinkle in illusions that something is not quite right with Eleanor. You say, don't get me wrong. Ellie was sweet, really sweet, and really willing to make it this work. But I don't know what it was about us that was putting me off. There was something that didn't sit well with me. You get closer and tell her in confidence about your experience with your ex, Liv. And she swears that she'll never call you what Liv did. However, when Eleanor got upset, judging by your reaction to what she decides to call you, it feels like she quickly goes back on her promise, which leads me to ask, did you mean to draw these parallels between Eleanor and your ex? What was it about Eleanor early on that let you know that something felt uneasy yet similar or familiar? Um, the familiarity didn't really come from Eleanor and my ex being similar. It was more that Eleanor's inexperience reminded me a bit of my own. Mm-hmm. And I knew her expectations would match what mine used to be. And I knew that I didn't want to be responsible for anything that might happen, anything that might be misconstrued. Oh, then ironically. Yeah, the pace <laughs> that things were going, I, I figured might not be adequate for her. And things just kind of spiraled out of control. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, I would just like to add that I read this on the train home. And I probably freaked everyone out with my facial expressions because I was so into the story. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing this. It was a lovely piece to read. And at the end of it, you share with the readers that you're not sure if you're happy or not about Eleanor never calling you again. So can you just tell us if that's still the case or have you maybe come to a more solidified stance regarding your experience with her? Um, Sorry. Yeah. I love that. I was hoping someone would ask that. (laughs) I've long since gotten over that. Um, I hate to say that I ultimately didn't feel for her as deeply as she probably did for me, but she was a great person. So I wish things didn't end that way. Mm-hmm. I know that she didn't mean any harm and like I didn't either, but it just wasn't, I don't think we were compatible at that time in that way. And I just think that we probably shouldn't have seen each other that way. And if anything, if we were to, I probably should have mentioned that I was seeing someone else at the same time immediately right that would have saved her a lot of pain probably but it's also this like this rising tension from just getting like from just a lot of expectation that you like knew that you like couldn't meet because you just didn't feel that way and so it's just it was um I think that was like really well like construed in the story it's just like this mounting like incessantness yeah that's yeah displayed there yeah just wasn't exactly sure if I could give her what she wanted because I did care for her but I was being pulled into places and I wasn't sure if she was going to match me if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah she was just moving way more quickly than I was because I, I I chalked it up to her lack of experience and her pluckiness and her like desire to be in love and be in a relationship and after having been hurt a few times as I'm sure like a few of you guys probably can relate to you're not that eager to just jump into it. You want to wait it out. You want to vet that person. You want to be more patient. So I wasn't willing to move as quickly as she was. 
I think that's one of the hidden gems of your piece, like kind of delving into that difference in energy levels that people invest into relationships and kind of dissecting that from your point of view. So I thought that was really beautiful in the piece. Thank you. It triggered my psych major brain because I, I remember <laughs> one of the lines being like, stop being avoidant. And I was like, oh my God, that's so me. Like, I'm always <laughs> like, hey, this is attachment style. This is not healing for me. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I feel like I'm going to die if you don't text me back right now. Uh-huh. And, like, and I felt like we were gossiping the whole story. I love that. I love it. Yeah. It, was, it was like drama. I was like, I don't want this to end. I want to see where this goes. Like, what happened? Uh, and then we got to the end and I was like, I know I was living for the drama the whole time. <laughs> yes, I love that part. And um that's just personally, I was just invested in your piece the whole time. I was rooting for you. I didn't know who you were gonna choose. I didn't know how it was gonna end. And then the train ride, it was so real. I loved every part of that. But um specifically, um, this one line in your piece, you you were talking about the quiz that you guys took. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wrote, and I'm bubblegum because I'm the soft one, outwardly soft anyway. Was the inclusion of sharing Eleanor's comment on her result meant to foreshadow her future change for the readers? Um, or how did you think the piece might have been affected without that memory? That was really just who she was. She was very outwardly sweet. She was kind. Like even in her appearance, she had appearance, she had very plush cheeks. She was a very soft, sweet, inviting person. So I thought including that was relevant because she kind of does remind me of Bubblegum. That's why I named that piece after her. Mm-hmm. okay yeah when that came up I was like oh the title nice <laughs> <laughs> I know I love seeing when the titles are mentioned in the story I'm like wow I, I cracked the code <laughs> they said it yes exactly <laughs> they said the thing <laughs> they said the thing I'm crying <laughs> yeah lastly what if anything would you like listeners to take away from the story well, I actually want to throw a question back at you guys before I actually answer that. Mm. How do you feel about dating more than one person at a time when you're not quite exclusive, just for context, so I know how everyone feels about that sort of thing? Pish posh, girl. Like, <laughs> it, it, it is the kind of thing that as long as everyone's saying kind of where they're at, I, like, I went into, so I'm married now, I'm all the way cuffed, but, like, it's, it's, um it was always this oh my god thank you um but it was it's always this thing of like I didn't realize that people didn't go into like going on a few dates I didn't go into it with the assumption that other people were also going on a few dates at the same Mm -hmm. time um I feel like it's like it's like automatic but also if you're the type of person that does not like that you say it you know Definitely. I feel like casual dating is stressful now. Like flirting is supposed to be fun. Going on dates is supposed to be fun. And I I feel like people just want to like they want companionship. So they try to lock in with the first person that gives them that sort of attention. And like it's the rise of the situationship. I feel like people are so quick to get locked in with someone. Just let's keep it going. Because Mm -hmm. there's also like I just see all this stuff now about like poly relationships like acceptable poly relationships poly marriages I mean when I was growing up you never I didn't even know that word like (laughs) I I mean you never heard about that you know and now it's like it's still like newer and people are like oh what's that but you definitely Mm -hmm. like hear about it and see it more so in some ways I feel like people's understanding of like the binary is 
shifting or people are becoming more open to different arrangements. I mean, not that this is that or anything, right. but I'm just saying that there is like a, there's like, I feel like people are like making their own rules in ways that I never expected to see when I was like in high school or college. Mm -hmm. I think the undercurrent of the whole thing is like, there has to be a communication between you and the other person. Yeah. Like whether, whatever is accepted societally, whatever is accepted communally, that doesn't really matter at the end of the day if the two of you aren't on the same page. I agree with that. Right. And that is the thread of like all these different kinds of relationships you hear about now that you didn't used to. That mm -hmm. does seem to be the thread. Like that's what everyone says is that mm -hmm. as long as everyone's in the clear, like everyone's talking mm -hmm. and there's like open lines of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Because also it's like, even if you are truly seeing someone for one day and then it's like, all right, I know that it wasn't it with that person. There still is like a obligation for respect amongst people. Mm -hmm. You should be respecting everyone, even the people that, especially if you're like looking to like have any kind of like relationship with someone, even if it's friendship, even if it's true, just, you're just hanging out. You are one-on-one -on -one with the person for any amount of time and you're not going to be respectful. I, I do think that that like communication is, is, is respectful. It's not, you know, you don't have to, um, you know, just talk, just talk. Yeah. yeah, that's the key piece. But like dating, I feel like it's completely different from being in a relationship with someone. Because right. you guys were dating, and like you were just like testing the water, seeing what was going on with like the the different partners. I don't, I don't think you were in the wrong. Oh no. Mm -mm. Yeah, I just wanted to like determine our compatibility, and if there's something that I want readers to take away is just stand firm on your boundaries, regardless. Mm -hmm. don't do what I did I was a little harsh in the end but I was pissed arguably um but you can't let someone else's speed or desire determine what you want or what's best for you ultimately your life is yours and theirs is theirs right and you have to like worry about yourself while being as kind or respectful as possible right oh yeah for sure because I don't think she was being very respectful of you to be honest mm -hmm. agreed yeah, and I can understand that I did upset her. I definitely do. I've been there, but I I did tell her. So, <laughs> you know, it's not going to be pain-free, but yeah, I wasn't dishonest. It wasn't pleasant, but I wasn't dishonest. So, yeah, okay. it was uncomfortable, but it had to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, proof of that, like that maybe she was a little not respect. You know, I, I kind of, the, when she never contacted you again, I was surprised. Because I got the impression that this person was not going to let you just go no contact, you know, <laughs> going off a term from our other story. Um, Actually surprised too. Yeah. Not pleasantly, but just surprised. Right. Well, Naya, thank you very much once again for sharing the story with us. We really enjoyed you sharing your thoughts, you sharing the story, being able to read everything, listen to you as you read it as well. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you very, very, very much. And thank you guys so much for having me and reading my story. It was a great time. Thanks, Naya. Thanks, Naya. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes our fourth episode of the eighth season, Sweet Sorrow. We are also excited to bring you these stories. 
We are honored to continue amplifying voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from in the creative nonfiction genre. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook if you want to get that behind-the-scenes content. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, as well as our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in, and we'll see you soon. Good night. Good night. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Or just Valentine's Day.